Today we are beginning a series through the book of Ephesians, which I'm really excited about. And I arrived at this uh, thought through a lot of prayer. I had the elders pray for me and some other people in the church pray. And I really felt led to turn to Ephesians. Uh, if you'll recall, last year around this time, I preached a mini-series on the first chapter of Ephesians, the doxology from Ephesians. And uh, I'm going to hit these passages again. These, these passages are of vital importance in fact, last year when I preached on this, I actually had this thought to myself, maybe I should preach the same message um, several, to- several weeks in a row, because it's one of those things where, unless you take it to heart, what's the point of moving forward? <laughs> With the Bible, I, um, you know, there, there is this tendency to have a lot of knowledge from the Bible, uh, but, not, but not really experience it, um, to, uh, in a sense be ever seeing but never seeing, ever hearing but never understanding. You know, it's, it's really important to pause, especially with certain sections of Scripture, and, and really pause and take them to heart personally for yourself. Because this is God's word to us. This is God's word to us. And especially in Ephesians 1, a passage about our identity in Christ and what he's done, it throws a lot at us. It's really important that we pause and we reflect on what it is saying and, and take it into ourselves. Uh, so, we are going to have a midweek email this week. If you would like to receive that email, there is a sign-up sheet on the table out there. Put your email down, and we're going to have continue this discussion of our identity in Christ and what, and what it means to pause and receive these things for ourselves. So the hope today is that you will walk away taking, taking in a little bit more of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what, what has been afforded to you through the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, what happened after the death and resurrection of Jesus? What's the, most, the next significant thing that happened? Holy the Holy Spirit, which I call the second coming. Some people call Jesus' uh, future coming the second coming. I, call that, I would call that the third coming because Jesus' spirit came and filled uh, all mankind, as was prophesied in Joel uh, at Pentecost in Acts. So we've been afforded this amazing thing through the Holy Spirit, amazing riches through Christ. Ephesians really shows us what those riches, what the nature of those riches are, and we're going to take some time to take these into ourselves. Uh, this is not about a sermon. This is about the Word of God for us, and we really need to take it to heart. Um, have you seen, just out of curiosity, because I find this, these ads to be really funny, the New York Lotto ads, where they show a ridiculous rich person doing something ridiculous, and then uh, it says, you'd make a way better rich person than this guy. Have you seen these ads? If you have Hulu, we don't have, we don't have cable, so we watch Hulu, and that's the, com- the commercial that comes on. But they show this ridiculous rich person, and then the conclusion is, you'd make a way better rich person than this guy. Uh, the, the one that me and Jackie saw, which I... You know, sometimes you want to speed through the commercials, but I think it's really funny. They showed this rich guy bathing in Pinot Grigio, a very expensive Pinot Grigio, and he calls it Pinot Therapy. And he says, he's sitting in the bathtub, and he says, I spend $28,000 a week on Pinot Therapy. Uh, you know, there's another one where there's a, this ridiculously rich New Yorker who has a huge amount of art, expensive art, and he's stapling it with like, gold staples, and he says, I'm making it more valuable. And you're not really sure whether he's making it more valuable by the fact that he's stapling it or the fact that they're gold staples. But at any rate, these commercials are intended to poke fun at the ultra-wealthy at a time when income inequality is a very popular subject in culture. 
This is something that everyone talks about in the news all the time. So for just a small moment, I'd like to overlook the fact that uh, the New York Lottery itself is advertising in these commercials is basically a structure put in place to keep people in poverty in poverty. <laughs> Which is really, it's really ironic that poking fun at the super wealthy when basically most, most of the people that play the lotto are, are very poor and lack, lack hope about their finances. And so they buy lotto tickets with the hope of gaining wealth. And who can blame them because they're in abject poverty? So we're going to overlook the fact that New York Lotto is trying to pull this one over on us. Because um, it's very ironic and painfully self-unaware. But putting all this aside, as I've been re- reading the first uh, chapter in Ephesians, I am convinced that spiritually speaking, we ourselves do not make very good rich people. Um, Jesus has given us a ridiculous inheritance in Christ. A ridiculously large inheritance in Christ. And I do not think, from what I've seen in myself and other people, that we have apprehended this inheritance properly. I really don't. And the thing about an inheritance is, you receive it by what? How do you receive it in, in the human world, right? Um, when, when someone else happens to die and they pass the inheritance on to you. You didn't earn it, you just get it because you're an heir. The Bible talks about us being heirs of Christ. Jesus died and left us an inheritance himself. And Ephesians 1 is what this is talking about. Uh, so, you know, for, for many of us, our hearts have grown, har- grown hard and grown cold so that we are ever seeing the truth in the Bible but not really believing it. Ever hearing sermons but not apprehending it for ourselves. And the riches that are in Christ are, are just so great that we are going to take a little time today to take a look at them. Because, um, you know, from the outside looking in, maybe angelic beings look at our lives as the redeemed of God. You know, the an- angels in heaven didn't fall. They didn't have a sin problem. Jesus didn't die for them. They just are servants of God. And so these, these a- angelic beings uh, probably look into our lives and they say, I would make a way better rich person than that saint. Do they realize what Jesus has done for them? <laughs> Do they, uh, it's just one of those things. This is a loaded scripture. We're going to go through it bit by bit. Uh, and we're just going to read it together. And then we are going to, uh, try, to uh, try to personalize the scripture for ourselves. And again, this is something we're going to continue throughout the week. So I want you to take home Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. And I want you to meditate on this scripture on your own with God and really take these things to heart. I I really think that God's word brings transformation. God's written word, illuminated by his Holy Spirit, brings transformation. And so I encourage you to do that. Ephesians 1. I'm not sure what Paul had for breakfast this morning uh, when he wrote this. I think he was in a deep place of worship of God. And if any of you have been in a deep place of worship of God, the things that come out of your mouth, you know, you're like, oh, God, you've given me everything, you know all the blessings and you just, you just are overflowing. And this is kind of what Paul is doing. He's overflowing with praise. So he says some amazing truth in the midst of this praise. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Yeah, I heard that. Amen. This is an amazing passage. Uh, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine from my college, uh, he says, we need to personalize our identity in Christ. We need to make it personal. And I really couldn't agree with him more. I really couldn't agree with him more. If you've been a Christian for a long time, your heart can just become hardened to all this, this, this talk. But... Listen, this stuff is for you. This stuff is fresh. This stuff is new. This is your provision for every day. We need to take it to heart afresh. And one of the things I want, uh, as we look over the riches discussed in this passage, our inheritance in Christ, one of the things I want you to notice is that none of these riches are contingent upon us earning them. The grace given to us by God, the word grace means gift. It's the gift of God. Jesus Christ's uh, salvation that Jesus offers is a gift from God. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. In fact, uh, uh, I guess to, uh, to emphasize this point, Jesus went to people in society who everyone else in society thought didn't deserve to be forgiven. And he went to those people on the outskirts of town and touched those people. To just make the point, here's someone who's completely helpless, who has no way, even in the eyes of society, of earning salvation. I'm going to touch this person. To show the world that this is a gift. Everything in Ephesians 1 is a gift. It's not something you earn. It's something you are given as an inheritance through your faith in Jesus Christ. Once you, once you uh, receive the initial gift from Jesus of your salvation, there's a whole inheritance that unfolds before you. And we're just going to take a moment to survey these scriptures, and we are going to personalize them. We're going to personalize them as a foreshadowing of what you'll be doing in your own time during this week that we're going to discuss in the middle of the week over email. Uh, and this is how we're going to do it. You have been blank. You've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, this language is pretty expansive with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's no way that Paul can even... I think Paul is saying right at the outset, there's no way that I can enunciate how many blessings are given to you through your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm just going to say, you get every one of them. You get every one of them, whatever they may be, through Jesus as a gift upon your salvation, an inheritance. And so one of the things that is kind of fun to think about, um, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, uh, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's like uh, uh, having, I don't know, 
some, some person who's never worked a day in their life, who's, who's been perhaps homeless and, and just not, not doing anything, all of a sudden a very rich relative dies. And all of a sudden, we hear these stories sometimes, they're billionaires or millionaires. It's, it's a gift. You have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Um, I would inqu- as, you, as you go to the Lord this week in the scripture, I would inquire of him, where are the blessings that you've given me in, in Christ? Like, what are the things, uh, the blessings in the heavenly realms that you have given to me? Uh, reflect on your life. Think about uh, the things that, that uh, are the biggest deal to you and then lay them before Jesus' throne, whether it be uh, a pain that you have or some, some way that you've been sinned against or some sin that you've been involved in that's been really binding and really hurting you. Um, Anything, anything that is just in the deepest, darkest place in your heart that God already knows about, lay it before him. Say, God, what does it mean for me to be blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ in light of this? Engage with the scripture. You've been chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So, to, I guess to, to prove that this is not something you earn, uh, Paul felt the need to say, before the creation of the world, you've been chosen. This is something that God has elected to do by his gift to bless you before the, before the foundation of the world. And he chose you, the reader of, of Ephesians, the original church, and now you, the church of Christ in Saratoga Springs, he's chosen you to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he chose you before the foundation of the world to be that person, to be someone who walks before him in this way. That's pretty cool to be chosen by the God of the universe. Take this to heart. In love... God predestined you to be adopted as his child through Jesus Christ. In love, he predestined you to be adopted as his child through Jesus Christ. So before you had the chance to accept or reject God by an act of your will, God chose you to be adopted as his child through Jesus. Uh, th- this, this language of adoption is really... Uh, in, in the Old Testament, the father alone. This, this is the, the tribal system that the Old, the Old Testament peoples lived in, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all these people, the patriarchs. The father alone had the rights of adoption. The father alone had the right to adopt. And believe it or not, it was such a patriarchal society, in the sense it was, it was um, driven by the power and, and, uh, of the father and the authority of the father, that a father had the right to actually adopt or not adopt his own biological children. This is not a God thing. This is a cultural thing that was just a reality back then. The father had the right to adopt or not adopt his own biological children, something probably some, probably some like deadbeat type dads probably would like to be able to do these days. But um, that, that, think about how, how awful that, that thought is. But here, it's saying that before the, the creation of the world, God predestined you to be adopted as his child through Jesus. God chose you. Uh, God chose you. He looked at you and he chose you. And he adopted you through Jesus Christ. That was your destiny. Um, and, he, and God alone has the, has the authority to adopt us as the Father. That's the image we get of everlasting Father from the Old Testament. The Father God has the authority to do this, and he's done it. Praise God. How has this happened? Through his glorious grace, which he has given you in the one he loves. This is what we've already talked about. Through his gift, which he's given you through the one he loves. That's a capital one. That's Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ's merit, through Jesus Christ's righteousness, you are given a free gift of being adopted as a child of God. This is not something you've earned. This is awesome stuff. It's something to be received and taken into your soul. In Christ, you have been given redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. 
So you've been, the, the image here is of being bought with a price. Um, if there was an indentured servant then, and, and they were able to gain their freedom, they could, they could buy themselves out of indenturement, uh, indentured servitude. Uh, and this is saying basically that God has redeemed us, has, has all right, so here's, a, here's an example. This is a heartbreaking example. I, I, we were running low on money, so we were uh, last year because um, I needed to purchase some, some bigger items so we didn't have the money, so I took some of my treasured things to uh, pawn off at uh, Parkway Music. My treasured things are all instruments. And my children, and my wife. <laughs> um, so I brought my, my, the first guitar I ever had that my parents helped me buy when I was 16. Uh, I brought my classical guitar, which my parents helped me buy. And um, I brought them, and I, and I sold them. And, I, and, and, uh, and when I sold them, they put a piece of masking tape on each case that said, gave 250, gave 350. And then they took them away, and I went home to Saratoga. And I told Jackie what I'd done, she started crying because she knew how much those guitars meant to me. And um, then I started crying a little bit because they did mean a lot to me. And I was kind of like, you know, callously going forward to get this money, right? Uh, and she goes, you have to go get them back. God will provide money somewhere else. And so I did. I went back and I ended up borrowing money for the things I needed to buy from my in-laws who I then paid back later. Another story, but... I went back to that. I, I was all emotional at this point because I love these guitars. I mean, I've, I, I, um, I've always been a worshiper of God in music, and this guitar was very significant to me as being formative in my, even, my, even my faith. Just, it's, it's always been there for me to worship God with it um, through everything. And I went and I said, hey, can I buy these things back? And they're like, yeah, this happens all the time. <laughs> um, I redeemed my guitar. And it was a, my joyful. It was my joy to redeem what was originally mine and had been taken away temporarily by um, financial necessity. And God has redeemed us through His blood. He's bought us with His blood. Uh, the forgiveness and, he, and what that looks like is the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Um, how rich do you think God is to forgive sins? is the question you have to ask yourself when you read this. Does, does God have enough money in his account to forgive your sins? Is a question you need to face. And um, I think that since it says in the Bible that uh, God came to save the whole world, that if you were to, to look at your life and your sin and say, there's not enough money in God's account to pay for my sin, then that would frankly be an insult to God. Uh, because God says that he can forgive your sins. <laughs> Uh, and so if God says he can forgive your sins, you know, who are you to say, no, but God, look, look what I've done. No, it's, it's nothing to God. Um, it's nothing to God. Our, the forgiveness of our sins is truthfully like taking a, um, uh, a little dropper for like a kid's medicine bottle and then taking that and then like dropping it in the ocean and then trying to find it, uh, find that drop of water, you know, three years later. It's just ridiculous thought to think that God doesn't have enough riches to forgive any sin. God can forgive anyone. People always scoff at um, people who go to prison for heinous crimes, and then they come to Christ in prison and get baptized, and people are like, oh yeah, well, you know, he deserved what he's getting. Oh yeah, of course he came to Christ in prison, blah, 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 blah. God can forgive that guy. Of course he can. And you know what? It's kind of a blessing for that guy that he came to a place where he was broken by being locked up and being prevented from continuing on this, this spree. Um, 
because he, he was halted in his steps and maybe he faces uh, execution or something. And finally, he comes face to face with his need, something that many of us do not ever do in our lives. We don't come face to face with our need, so we never receive grace. We never receive forgiveness because we think we're doing pretty good. Um, but yes, God can forgive anyone. It's the riches of his grace. It's inexhaustible. It's really amazing. Has he applied these riches? He's lavished them on you with all wisdom and understanding. Um, lavished. The, the, uh, the image comes to mind is the parable of the sower. In this, if you're familiar with the parable, it's, it's a sower. The sower is God. And he's throwing seeds everywhere. He throws some on, th- on rocky soil. He throws some on basically pavement. He throws some on good soil. He throws some on soil that's good but it has weeds growing up in it. Uh, and basically the, the birds eat the seed off of the pavement, pavement soil, and so that seed doesn't take root. Uh, and, and the soil with the weeds, the weeds come, the worries of life, the weeds come and choke out the seed that was planted. Um, there's all these different things that happen. But the big point to me, the big takeaway for me of that story is the sower. The sower doesn't care. The sower knows that that's pavement. He knows that the seeds can't take root there, but he throws it there anyway. God is a generous giver. God the sower lavishes his seed on our lives. And even if he's like, I don't think it's going to grow, but here we go. Bam. And he just keeps on throwing seed on our lives. And it really is up to us to decide if we are going to to change our hearts and become a good soil where that seed can take root and grow, or whether we are going to take the gift of God, the seed, and just say, ah, let it bounce off me again. It'll come back around. It'll come back around. The point is God has lavished lavished that upon us. He's a generous giver. And he's rather indiscriminate with where he throws it. And uh, so the challenge as we read this, especially this week, is to say, what kind of soil am I? You might even want to look up that passage. What kind of soil am I? How can I go from being this kind of soil that has not done well with the word of God in the past to being a softer-hearted, more open soil that can receive from God and grow? And God has lavished, uh, lavished his riches, his grace on us with all wisdom and understanding. Uh, God understands exactly what he's doing when he lavishes this stuff on us. And, uh, and, and truly, I think that it's enough. Uh, for, he gives us enough and exactly the right amount of what we need in order to thrive. That's, that's the love of the Father. God has made to, known to us the mystery of his will, which it turns out is to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. So the point here is that God has... Uh, let us in on what his mission is. It's not such a secret mission, after all. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, because a a slave or a servant does not know his master's business. But I've made known to you what my business is. Um, He's made known to us the mystery of his will. We have been chosen in order to be for the praise of his glory. This is a reiteration of what's been said before. We were inclu- and we were included in Christ when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. So here again, this is a gift. This is not something you earned. This is, this is when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you took it to heart as being for you. This table is for you, the b- broken body of, and the shed blood of Christ. Uh, you were included in Christ at that moment. It's an amazing thing. It's not something you work your way into. And finally, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession for the praise of his glory. And the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit, uh, this is another catch-all, catch-all kind of sentence, because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so what this is saying is, if I've missed any, Paul is saying, if I've missed anything, 
You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is my Spirit himself. And this is the amazing fact. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate gift we've been given. It's Christ himself. Through the Spirit, we have an internal means of revelation from God, as God dwells within us by his Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit's indwelling of our lives, we have an internal means of revelation from God. So in other words, if you're, if you're at a loss uh, with how these riches affect you, or, or if you have any kind of question, or you need wisdom, or anything, God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. This is something we cannot grow callous to. This is a reality that changes everything. At Pentecost, the Spirit was sent to live in all people, uh, old and young, men and women. The Holy Spirit is the great revelation of God uh, himself inside of us. This is an amazing gift. So, I guess the conclusion today is, are the angels looking into our lives and saying, I'd make a way better rich person than that poor saint? Or are we taking hold of the riches that have been made available to Christ? And the way we're going to take hold of these riches is by spending some time in this passage this week in our private time with God. I'm going to do it myself. And we're going to have an email and we're going to have some discussion. And, and so I'm asking you to go home and reflect on this. Um, it's a very destructive thing for anyone when they need other people or things to affirm their identity. It's a very destructive thing. I've gone through bouts of looking to other people to affirm my identity. It's disappointing. It's devastating, actually, because you're giving someone the power of God in your life to affirm or disaffirm your identity as a, as, as a human being. So if your identity is found in, in um, being an amazing skier and you break both your legs and can't ski again, then what are you? If your identity is found in being a great public speaker and, or, or whatever it might be, and then someone didn't like something you said, then that's taken away from you. It's a very flimsy thing to have your identity be found in anything else but in Jesus because it's shakable. It can crush... You know, what, what if your identity is being in a parent and God forbid you lost your child? What if your identity is being in A, B, and C, and D? The invitation from Ephesians is to find our identity in Jesus Christ. It's an unshakable foundation. It's a cornerstone. When your identity is found in Jesus Christ and what he's done, nothing can shake you. And everything else in your life falls into place. All those good things that we enjoy, being a parent, being a musician, being a ski expert, being a public speaker, whatever it is that you do, you can do it for the glory of God, not to become identified with that thing. Because your identity is found in Jesus, and Jesus is glorified through what you do, but what you do does not define you. Jesus does. And that's what this is about. And so I encourage you to go home, take Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, Take it to heart. Put your email on the sheet. We're going to talk about this. Next week, we're going to look at, you know, Lord willing, I'll say, because <laughs> I might have a baby next week. Um, next sermon, we'll be looking at Paul's reflection on all of this stuff we're, we're looking at today. But first, just read that passage. Just read that passage. And as we continue in Ephesians, I know that God is going to bring revelation to us as to what it looks like to get from A to B as a church. This is something that I got, think God has for New Life Fellowship, uh, that we would become fully formed in him, that we would grow into the head who is Jesus Christ, and that we would function as a body the way that God intends. So I'm really excited about this series, and I'd like to uh, invite the worship team up to play a closing song, and we'll worship him in song. Uh, but as they come up, I want to pray for all of you. Heavenly Father, I lift up your church, New Life Fellowship, which you have uh, you've blessed all of us to be a part of this community. But Lord, we don't want to just be a community, Lord. We don't want to just be the Rotary Club. We don't want to be the VFW. We don't want to be the Elks Club. We want to be the body of Christ. 
Uh, we want, we want to, gr- to grow into the head who is Jesus Christ as each part does its work right down to every supporting ligament. That's our desire to see this place uh, come to life in Jesus. Um, foundationally, Lord, let each of us as individuals this week take to heart the truth of the gospel, the free gift of your grace that we've been given through Jesus Christ. Let us take to heart, heart the riches and the identity that you've given us as children of God that we might walk boldly into the future that you have for us as a church, Lord. Uh, I give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life, and life to the full, and life abundantly. So I'd like to bless you this morning. Father, I bless your church, New Life Fellowship, in Saratoga Springs, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they might take hold of what you have taken hold of them for. That they might take hold of the, the, the riches of the inheritance that you provide for them, that they might live life abundantly in this life from day to day, and that they might pass into eternity, living that abundant life forever with you. Um, we pray this all in the name of Jesus. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.